Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 56. My name is James, and today I am pleased to bring to you an interview with Mark Clare. Of course, you know Mark Clare. He's sort of the OG libertarian podcaster from Lions of Liberty. Before we get into it with Mark, just a reminder, we're giving away a lifetime master membership to Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Head to woods.blackbirdpodcast.com to sign up. Make sure you do it by September 20th, because I'm going to be doing the drawing on that day. And also, this episode is sponsored by Football Insider Edge. If you're into fantasy football, whether as a season-long player, you're focused on DraftKings or FanDuel contests, or you just like to make the occasional wager, Football Insider Edge provides you with research tools and in-depth analysis to take your game to the next level. With their proprietary model, matchup charts, and award-winning content, and of course their Slack community where the founders of Football Insider Edge interacts directly with their clients, the team at Football Insider Edge have devoted themselves to educating their subscribers, helping them improve their play, and in a few special moments, win life-changing money. For listeners of this show, they're offering a 20% discount for any monthly or full season plan. Head over to footballinsideredge.com and use offer code BLACKBIRD at checkout to get signed up today. Once again, that's footballinsideredge.com and use offer code BLACKBIRD at checkout to get 20% off your monthly or full season plan. And with that, here is my interview with Mark Clare. Mark, welcome to the show. It's about time. <laughs> James, man, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. Okay, cool. So actually, you were one of my inspirations. I, I Like, I think I emailed you before I even started Urban Agorist, the like original iteration of this show. So, you know, thanks. You, Tom Woods, and Pete Quinones are like, are my uh, my holy trinity, I guess. Well, awesome. That's a that's a hell of a, a hell of a group to be to be yeah. you know, lumped in with. So uh, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, flabbergasted by that. Thank you. Obviously, Tom Woods would be the father, which would make you maybe the son, even though you predate him in the in the podcast sphere. Huh? Thank you for mentioning that, so I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I, I started. I think it was like three <laughs> weeks before Tom I put out the first uh, Lions Liberty, and I was like, "All right, this is it. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the guy that has the Libertarian podcast." And then I see an ad for the Tom Woods Show five days a week. I'm like, "Oh God, okay." He's got a leg <laughs> up on me on this one, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I already got the logo made. Yeah. Like I already bought this equipment, so I'll just I'll just soldier on here. And he's done pretty well for himself, that that old old chap. So you were talking before we actually started recording that um, did Lines of Liberty like start out as a blog? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ba- yeah, basically it started, well, really, if we want to go before that, it started as an email chain uh, with a bunch of friends of mine who all went to Penn State. That's where the lion ended up coming from. Uh, Nittany Lion is the, the mascot there at Penn State. So, um, you know, it, it started because I, I started badgering my friends about Ron Paul in like 2007, 2008, I had been reading Ron Paul's writing since like 99 or 2000. Oh, wow. I'm really aging myself here. Uh, but that's when I got into his writing through a friend of mine, Howie Snowden, who's kind of a, a recurring uh, guest on, on our you know, group of podcasts. But he first got me into Ron Paul one day, like we were drinking late at night. And he he used to be a congressional page when he was in high school in Congress for a Democratic congressman. But all he would ever talk about about his like time working in Congress was how how cool it was when he got to listen to this guy Ron Paul give speeches oh, wow. and give speeches on the floor. He said he would go into his office sometimes. Just he would talk about liberty, and I was just like, 
this is so strange. Like this, <laughs> this guy I'm hanging out with is talking about this like 70 year old congressman that he thinks is pretty cool. So I'm like, well, whatever this, I, I like this guy. He seems fun and maybe he's right. So I started reading his column at the time, which was Texas straight talk. And uh, it really stood out to me. The biggest thing that stood out to me was that he, most of these columns were criticizing Republicans. And this is when prior to that, my only conception of politics, I mean, I grew up riding in the car with my dad. He would always listen to talk radio of some kind, usually like conservative talk radio, um, you know, Hannity, Limbaugh, all that stuff. And uh, that was my conception of politics was like the Republicans believed these things and Democrats believe these things and they just go after each other. But here was someone who was a Republican and almost everything he was doing, this is in the George Bush era. So that's the party that was in power was almost entirely critical of the Republicans, of the president, of the things he was doing and how they went against the, you know, the principles of liberty. And that was the first time I really saw someone that was filtering politics through an actual deeply held belief, not just through this, this Republican Democrat system. And I, I had never even seen it, seen it looked at that way before. So that's what just stood out to me so much before I really even began to understand and adopt the philosophy more. Uh, just that fact that he was so critical of his own party made me say, all right, this guy is something different. At least he's at least doing something genuine to him, if nothing else. And I think that's what uh, opened me up to just the ideas overall, the fact that I knew that no matter what his beliefs were, I, I was pretty sure this guy believed them because it wouldn't make any sense <laughs> yeah. to lie and go against your party. If anything, you're going to lie and pretend that you agree with your party to ascend in politics and that sort of thing. So that, that's kind of where it really started. But then, um, yeah, because six or seven years later, when he ran for president, I was I was really primed for it because... I had been reading his his work for all these years and really did the deep dive on libertarianism in between, you know, the Rothbards, the the Hayek's, the whole deal. Uh, so when I saw that he was running for president, I was just like shaken out of my stupor. I was like, what? This is happening? Like, okay, like he's not going to run for president. He's not going to win or anything, but I'm interested. I'll check this out. And then when, uh, I don't know if it was the first debate, it was one of the first couple when he had that Rudy Giuliani moment and I like jumped out of my chair and I, I could not stop sharing that video with people and, and many other Ron Paul videos. And I could not stop talking about Ron Paul. And through that, many of my friends who I would drink with and hang out with at the bar, um, some of, two of those friends were friends of mine from college. And uh, they're the two of the friends that got the most interested in it. Those are the friends of mine that would go on to become uh, my fellow Lions Liberty, Brian McWilliams, John Odermatt. And um, through that, we started just kind of talking about this stuff on an email chain. And then we would occasionally just like add new people like, oh, here's this friend of mine. Here's this friend of mine. And before I knew it, there was like 20 or 30 of us just talking about first. It was more just about the politics of the day, about the specific presidential campaign. But when those wound down, it turned into just deeper discussions about philosophy and politics, uh, how an anarcho-capitalist society would work, all these all this stuff that libertarians love to talk about. <laughs> um, that's the kind of stuff we were just talking about. And then one day, I think it was John actually that said, or I think I said we should put these on a blog and then John and, John, and then I said, like, well, well, what would we call it? And Odie just said, well, Lions of Liberty, of course, since we're all from Penn State people. So um, that's the short version of how it started. Yeah. And then it was a couple of years later that I decided that I was going to make a podcast that, that sprang from that. Out of curiosity back then and being in Pennsylvania, I mean, right next door to Ohio, were you guys as big on Dennis Kucinich or like did, I, did your I congressional page friend even know who he was? Yeah, I don't think I've talked to Howie too much about Dennis Kucinich. I think he was a fan, though. I mean, I I remember liking him a lot. Yeah. I think that I think he ran um, the same year that Ron Paul first ran. I'm pretty sure he ran in 04. I, I just okay. remember because I, I was I was a left wing kid back then, and uh, I loved okay. him. Yeah, I do remember liking Jen, Dennis Kucinich, and for similar reasons, uh, you know, that he he seemed consistent, was also willing to criticize his own party, and was like you know very much anti war. So I, I do remember liking him, not to the sense that I got not in the level I got excited about Ron Paul because he didn't share that base 
philosophy that I got me so excited. But yeah. I do remember like thinking he was a good guy at least. And and I know that he talked about how his wife saw UFOs, and I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. He was very like woo woo and stuff. Anyway, he he was always one of my favorites. So you mentioned the conversations that libertarians love to have, which kind of brings up, I guess, the Holy Spirit of that Trinity, Pete Quinones, and uh, the sort of post-libertarian Praxian thing that's going on. Are, are those debates, the minarchist, anarchist, and you know who'd build the roads and stuff, are, are those still relevant? Do people even still have those conversations? Were they ever relevant? <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. I don't know if they were ever relevant. I know that we really enjoyed having them and uh, libertarians felt the need to have them. And, you know, I, I've always been one that I really feel that like asking the question why is the most important thing. And I think that whenever, whether we're talking about a philosophy or a course of action, we should always be asking that question why, not just of other people, but of ourselves. And if we don't have a good answer to the why, we need to either find the answer or seriously question why we don't have that answer. And so that's that's like a, a thought process that has guided me along the way in, in everything I've done in life. And it's something my dad actually did an interview with my dad on Lions Liberty many, many years oh, ago, really? like, like the first year I was podcasting. And he told me the story that when I was a kid, that's like something I would do. I would just always ask why. When, like if they wanted me to do something, I wouldn't just want to do it. I'd be like, well, why? And why? And then if I didn't like that answer, I would say why again. I'm like, no, I don't buy that. Why really? And I would just push and push and push until either I just got to the, the end of the wall or I finally got an answer that I, I felt was the truthful answer. So I guess that's always been something inside me. And I think, you know, it, it, I think it's relevant in the sense that, or I think it was relevant <laughs> in the sense that, you know, when you're trying to figure out a personal philosophy of some kind, then yeah, you should, you should be able to answer the questions. Like it makes sense that you should want to know why a minarchist, minarchist would say, I believe in this philosophy. I believe that, you know, the free market should handle everything except for these two or three things. You should be able to say why that is. And some minarchists can say that. And I, now I, I'm in the camp that would say that if you follow that to its logical end, you're, you're going to hit a wall there and you're not going to really be able to get to the end of that conversation. But yeah, I mean, as far as me personally, like it's not really a conversation I'm interested in having anymore. I mean, these are the, these are the type of things I really got into for the first, I don't know, four, five, six years of Lions of Liberty. I mean, this was, I started it as a show to dive into the philosophy because that's, there weren't anybody, there wasn't anybody out there doing that at the time, as crazy as that sounds. But now, yeah, I mean, I think I'm in the camp of people that I, I can at least agree that I agree with the statement that if if you have not re-examined not just your philosophy, but the actions you take in life, not just in the political sphere, but everything after the last, you know, 18, 20 months or so, then you're probably doing something. You're probably on the wrong course of some kind, because if this didn't open your eyes to something then I don't know what to tell you. And I don't have all the answers. I mean, I, 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 libertarianism is my, is my base philosophy, but it is only that it is only a philosophy. It doesn't necessarily, it might tell you what to advocate for. It might tell you what's, what fits within that, that actual ethic, but it doesn't tell you how to interact with the rest of the world who does not hold those beliefs. And for the most part, don't act on, on that belief system. So how do we navigate ourselves within that? And I, I think, I think many of us might have had this uh, this idea before 2019 or before 2020, where if we just get enough people to read these books, if we just get <laughs> introduce enough people to these ideas, my gosh, how can they not get it? But I've met enough people in person that have in, in, been introduced to the ideas, and they, I maybe they don't get them, maybe that's what it is, or maybe they just don't want that. And I, I so I. 
to me, it's it's more about like, how do I, especially now I'm married, I have a stepson and I'm thinking a lot more about what actions can I take in life to best protect myself and my family and set us up so we're safe and secure and, you know, so we can achieve the most liberty in our lives. And it doesn't mean I don't want other people to do the same thing. It's actually, that is actually is exactly what I think other people should be doing too. And I, over the last year or two, I haven't made any kind of like official rebranding announcement with Lions Liberty, but I think I have slowly, um, with maybe the exception of the last month, which has just been a, a fun month of libertarian debates. But I think in many ways, <laughs> I have tried to shift the focus of my flagship show to address more of these questions and to look more at things from different angles and to address the the concept of, okay, so what do we do? Like, what can you do? And there are many things people can do. Um, and I, I don't know if there's one right answer that, that fits every situation. Um, but if you're not, if you're looking at the world around you and, and not realizing shit, I got to do something, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Cause I, I don't think any of us are in a good position. I mean, no matter how much wealth, power and influence we might have or, or what, I mean, some shit is going down and it's not about to stop. And I don't think we're going to philosophize our, our friends and family out of this. Yeah. And, and that wealth, power and influence thing, that's the, that's Jason Stapleton's podcast and his sort of driving force, I guess. I, I actually just joined his, his mentorship program. So I'm really looking forward to kind of digging into that and seeing where it takes me. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jason. I like him a lot. Um, you know, I, I, we actually connected way back in, I want to say like 2015, 2016, maybe even before, somewhere around there. He actually reached out to me to, uh, we did an interview on Lions Liberty. And I think, I think he did a couple ads on Lions Liberty when he was first starting yes. out. And then later on, he got bigger than us and we bought ads on his show. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, cause, you know, and then we bought ads on part of the problem. And there was like a little bit of like 2014, 2016 area where there was like Dave and Jason that were both kind of blowing up at the same time. Uh, we were rising as well, not on the same level as either of those champions. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it was a real time when a lot of people were learning about these ideas. I think really the 2016 election, a lot of people were so turned off by both Trump and Hillary that a lot of people were looking for alternatives because that, that was really a big growth period for us. It's when we went from, you know, just looking at this as only a hobby to looking at it as, okay, maybe this is something that could be like a hobby that pays for itself or that gives us a little something that we can put, you know, justify a little more, putting a little more time into anyway. And that's kind of where we still are now, but, it, you know, we, we are in a you know, much better position as far as that goes than we were like four or five years ago. I don't even remember the question I was answering. I don't think I was answering a question. I was just going. No, on. Uh, I think I mentioned Jason Stapleton. So yeah, yeah, there you actually, go. Actually, <laughs> yeah, and you guys just did a you guys just did a libertarians in the living room drinking liquor with him too, right? Yeah, Brian did one uh, with him and Michael Bolden because they both. Well, Jason's actually right. in the process of moving out, but yeah, they both did live uh, in downtown LA. Cool. So, how did you become like the official libertarian debate moderator, not named Gene Epstein? <laughs> that is a that was a great question. It. it it happened to me. I didn't like seek, seek it out. It just kind of happened. I think it, my, it first started, I was doing debates, um, like back in like 2016 or so I started to get people within the libertarian party who reached out to me, like people that were running for office, uh, either in, in the party or like, you know, inter-party elections or, you know, just running for office in general. And eventually leading up to like the 2016 convention, I think it was 2016, 2018. I don't know. I got all these years confused, but somewhere around that time, I got enough. I got to know a lot of those people that were running for office and running for various positions. And then mm -hmm. after I interviewed a few of them, and then it was like time for for debates to happen on the stuff. I I just kind of decided like, all right, maybe I should host debates with some of these people that I've met and like and let them kind of duke it out on on my show. So that's when I first started dabbling in the debates. But then it was it was really last year that 
the debate thing really took off because that's that was when there was a little bit of an online. Well, it's, it's kind of always ongoing, but there are some uh, some people. There are some people. I don't know if you know this, James. There are some people in the Libertarian Party that do not like Dave Smith at all. Oh. Really? And are not fans of him, and we're very are very vocal in saying that. Uh, one of those people is named Andy Craig, and I will give credit to Andy Craig because he is part of the reason this thing started. Uh, he actually approached me because our mutual friend Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, I think, is an awesome guy. Uh, he said, "You know what? You should have if you want to hash this thing out with Dave. You should go on Lions Liberty. You should reach out to Mark Claire. He's fair." what have you. And uh, so Andy reached out to me and said, hey, Chris says you'd be a, a good person to host this debate and I'm willing to do a debate with Dave. I, I think the Dave, I don't remember if Andy reached out first. They, they might have both reached out to me around the same time, but they both agreed that I should be the one to host the debate. I did. That episode blew up. I think it's it's not our number one. I think it's like maybe the number two or three most downloaded lines Liberty of all time. It's, it's pretty up there though. So that one blew up. So then I said, oh, I guess people like when I do these debates, especially with when it's a debate with uh, someone hating on Dave. Yeah. So we did another one uh, with uh, Archie, who you may know. Uh, that one did really even better. <laughs> that one like blew up too. And it was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I realized I kind of liked doing that. You know, I kind of just enjoyed um, maybe it's laziness too. I, I just like the fact that I can kind of set two people against each other and kind of, you know, put my arms up and just watch the thing unfold. Try to rein it in a little bit. Although I'll be honest that that Andy Craig debate, I didn't really rein in at all. I kind of just let it happen. <laughs> I kind of just let the cars, you know, pile up against each other. But yeah, that, that's kind of where it started. And then since then, I've just, I've, I've just, I'm always kind of thinking of debates, and whenever I see there, there's been memes out there, like, um, you know, I don't know, there's that that meme of the the guy, like, when the the big black guy in the yellow suit, like, peering around the tree, uh, you know, like, like, you know, puckering his lips. So that, that there's memes like, oh, Mark Claire seeing libertarians, you know, <laughs> seeing libertarians argue on Twitter, like, like whenever I see people arguing, I just, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe this could be a debate. Hmm. Um. So yeah, it's something I like doing, and then uh, so much so that I decided to dedicate all of August. Two debates. So I've so far hosted four debates. I've got one more left uh, to, that'll be airing uh, next week on Lions Liberty. So it's just it's something I enjoy doing, and people seem to want to come to me to do it. So who am I to argue with the market? That's pretty fantastic. I'm guilty of joining your Patreon and then unjoining it okay, for each of those Dave one. Smith debates. <laughs> and I was like, man, I, I keep I keep like giving him money and then ungiving him money. So I finally ended up just subscribing to Patreon for a full year, and I'm gonna get awesome. all of your debates as soon as they as soon as they drop. No promises on next year, although hopefully if this Jason Stapleton thing works out, I'll just fund your entire show, huh? That, this is a great plan. I love it. <laughs> so I heard you on Thad Russell's podcast uh, a while back. It was a few months ago. I was on Thad Russell's podcast? I think so. Or was he on yours? He was probably on mine. I've never okay. been on well, this show. I heard you and Thad Russell talking. <laughs> Unless I just I, totally blacked it out, but yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I, heard, I heard you talking to Thad Russell on someone's podcast, and you were talking about how you were starting to even question the, the title libertarian. Is mm -hmm. that still is that still kind of, are you still in a, like a state of flux there? Yeah, I think I was talking about it more in like a marketing sense. Mm -hmm. And his point, which I think is a good one, is that, and this is the kind of his point with labels in general is that, you know, when, when you have that label out there, you're signaling to certain people like what you are. And some of those people are people I, I want them to think that I want them to see Liberty and think, Oh, this is the place I want to go to hear about this stuff. But a lot of people see that same label and it doesn't mean to them what it means to me. So like there, a lot of people are going to see Liberty or Libertarian and because of the way things are, you know, they go, Oh, Liberty, Republican, Trump, racist, okay, and like, and like suddenly you're a Nazi, and you're like, what yeah. happened? 
at the end, it's, it's, not, it's something we've we've talked about internally in Lions Liberty. We're, we're discussing like ways we can slightly rebrand. Like we don't want to change who we are necessarily, but I think just the way we present it and, and yeah, we're, we're currently having like discussions about, about how we can do that. And it's, it's kind of a tough spot because Lions Liberty does have so much brand equity in like the Liberty world. Um, Cause we've been around so long. I mean, in most, anytime there's like, you know, questions out there about what are the libertarian podcasts? I mean, you always see Lions Liberty in the mix there. I mean, people know who we are. Um, so you don't just want to throw that away, but I do feel in some ways, like we've, I feel like we've reached almost everyone we can reach maybe with the current kind of where we are. You know, I, I think at least we're reaching out to the the same niche over and over and over. And that's great. We get a lot of great feedback. We have a lot of Patreon supporters, but like, are we really reaching other people? Are we, are we like expanding our reach? Are we bringing in people that, that wouldn't have necessarily, you know, jumped into this when they just see the words Liberty or Libertarian podcast? Um, that's just one thought process. Cause my other thought process is, Oh, well, because you're not going to reach everybody and you're not, especially with a podcast. It's, it's, it really is about niching down. And really, am I ever going to reach the person who's going to hear Liberty and jump to Nazi in like three mm. sk- skips? Probably <laughs> not. You know, I'm probably not going to be the one to turn them around. So it's a thought process. It's, it's something I think about. And I think I think that is has really good points. And I totally get why he doesn't adopt that libertarian label, even if we checked all of our, the, uh, you know, all of our political beliefs, they probably line up almost exactly the same, if yeah. not very close. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's something I think about. But I mean, I cringe when I hear the word liberal in reference to like Democrats and socialists like that. Like, I still feel like that's my word, even though it wasn't used for for what we believe uh, in really ever in my lifetime. But to me, just hearing the word liberal associated with that stuff, it just drives me bonkers because I'm like, no, liberal means free. And none of that stuff <laughs> means that. So, I mean, if you th- think about the labels all day can can just drive you crazy and, you know, you know, run you through circles in your head. So, you know. It's it's an ongoing thought process, an ongoing conversation. But at the end of the day, I just I just want to produce the best content that I can produce. I want to I want to I want people to listen to this podcast, and I want them to think what I think when I listen to other podcasts that I that really inspire me. Like like mm-hmm. there's podcasts I listen to that just move me sometimes. You know, like I want I want to move people. So at the end of the day, I don't care if it's the Lions of Liberty label that gets them there or not. And I'm not sure what the best answer is. It's something we're always examining, but I just want people to get there. And I want, I want people to be inspired. And I, it's awesome hearing like people like you, who I think are doing an amazing job with the show. I, I, I haven't listened to the full catalog, but I've listened to a number of your interviews and I think, I think you do an amazing job. And to hear you say that I, I inspired you in some way, like that is ultimately like as cheesy as it sounds, why I do, why I do this stuff. Like I, I, I do it. I don't do it for the Patreon money. That's for sure. Most of that doesn't <laughs> get back to us. Uh, that all goes to operating costs and marketing and all that, all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I do it cause I, I want to inspire people in some way, shape or form. Now, some people might get inspired and start a podcast and that's awesome. Other people might get inspired to look into, you know, becoming an expat and how they can get more freedom that way that I've done a few shows on. Uh, other people might get inspired to, you know, start their own business and, you know, make themselves more free. And these are all the areas that I really want to explore because they're the areas that I'm exploring in my own life. And I'm not an expert on any of that stuff, really. I, I just like to talk to people who are and talk to people who have done that stuff uh, because I, I, in many ways, am going through the same things that everyone else out there is going through. Like, I'm trying to find more freedom in my life, too. And at some point, I had to ask myself, like, how much can I just sit here talking about the philosophy of liberty if that's all I'm doing? 
You know, if I'm just talking about the philosophy of liberty, but then I'm going to my normal job, not doing anything different, not not preparing myself in any way for any, to have any more freedom in my own life, well, then I'm I'm kind of a hypocrite in that in that point. Maybe not a hypocrite, but I'm not I'm not fully living out the things that I'm preaching. You know, I can I can believe in a philosophy, believe in the non-aggression principle, but if I'm just sitting here believing in it and talking about it, and it's not influencing the way I act in my life, then you know, then I'm not doing my job. So to hear that other people actually can you know listen to my podcast and then take some sort of action in their lives that's amazing and that that is ultimately you know why I do it sweet so speaking of like content creation and the and the things that you do you've also got this great comic book podcast it's sort ah, of yes. it's sort of your your other project talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that how did it start and uh like what what do you do there yeah, so the origin story of this, how deep do I want to go back on this one, too? Like, I, I was huge into comics when I was a kid. Um, probably when I was, like, 11, 12, 13 years old, I, I started getting into comics. was huge into Spider-Man, X-Men, Batman, all that stuff. And then got super excited by the launch of Image Comics. And I just became a diehard comic fan. Like, I would... Any job I got, like, I, I used to mow lawns. I used to wash people's dogs. Eventually, I, I worked at Carvel for a summer. It didn't matter what I did. If I got a dollar, that dollar was going to comic books. And maybe that's why I didn't have a girlfriend in high school, but but I <laughs> like all my money went to comic books. It's the only thing I cared about spending money on, except for wow. sometimes rest, uh, renting like uh, movies or, you know, wrestling videos or something like that. But, but most of it was comic books. Like I have a huge comic book collection that's still at my parents' house in Connecticut. But sometime in my early 20s, kind of like, it started to fade away a little bit in college because I got into, you know, drinking and partying and all those things. Uh, but really a little bit after college, when I got into like real life and moved to Los Angeles is when I started fading away from a lot of that quote unquote kid stuff. Uh, like I, I stopped watching. I didn't really watch professional wrestling too much anymore. I didn't really read. I kind of faded away from reading comic books or even thinking about them at all. But then about 10 years after that, I'm not even sure how it started, but somehow I got like way back into all that stuff all at once. Like I spent 10 years, uh, I kind of call it my dark period, my nerdy dark period where I didn't like, I, maybe it's coincided with the fact that I, that was, those are the times that I was like insane on the Liberty stuff. Like I put so much <laughs> yeah. into reading like all the Rothbard books, Mises, like he, uh, human action was probably took up a year of that, you know, like I read so much and I think it was almost like a, a reaction counter reaction thing. Like, like I went from just kind of, you know, comics, wrestling, all that stuff where I don't need to think too hard about it. Although that's not necessarily true about comics sometimes. But, um, and then got deep into all this philosophy and deep reading. And then I think at some point my brain was like, you got to do something else. I can't just read about libertarian philosophy all the fucking time, please. Uh, so then I, I started to kind of rekindle that passion uh, for, uh, particularly for comic books in like 2013, 2014. And I just, I started to go back and read a bunch of stuff that I used to be into. Uh, I kind of, you know, found some of the newer comics that were out that time like uh the walking dead invincible both of mm-hmm. which have become kind of pop culture uh hits as well and uh, i really rekindled that passion for the for the medium i think it's just an, just an amazing unique medium and uh so yeah I, I probably have been back into that for six or seven years and then when the pandemic hit in 2020 i was in mexico with my uh then girlfriend now wife and i just kind of uh riding the pandemic out for a few months and uh you know i, I really wanted to focus on like like my, my skills uh, starting new projects and that sort of thing. But I also really wanted to read more comic books since I had all this time. And I was thinking, well, how can I justify reading all these comic books while I really should be putting time into productive things? And then I said, ha what if I make reading comic books one of those productive things? Everybody wins. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of was brewing this idea in my head. 
and I thought of the perfect person for to do this show with, uh, someone that was also actually inspired into libertarian ideas and podcasting um, through Lions of Liberty was uh, a friend of mine, Renzo, Renzo Martinez. He actually reached out to me and like, I think we connected in like 2015, not long after I started Lions of Liberty. And he'd said he's been a huge fan of the show since the beginning. And we started hanging off. I eventually like had him on my show. He had his own podcast. He had me on his show a few times. And we became pretty good uh, internet friends, I guess you could say. Um, and so he was the first, but I knew he was a big, big into comic books too. So he was the first person I thought of for a couple of reasons. A, like I knew we were, not that I didn't want to do a show about politics, but it's nice to know you kind of share a sort of worldview with someone going into things. So, um, and then, um, you know, the fact that he's much younger than me, <laughs> but I think he's like maybe 14, 15 years younger than me, but that, that's, that's why I thought of him for this show because I wanted to do something where we each looked at comics that inspired us and stories and characters and that sort of thing that inspired us uh, in our youth. And so to do that, I wanted to have someone that had a different youth period than me. So he started getting into comics in like the mid 2000s. I was the early 90s. So we have really different things that you know inspired us at the time, uh, different things that influenced us. There's a lot of stuff that I read growing up that he he never got a hold of. A lot of stuff that came out because uh, actually when he was getting into comics was in that dark period that I mentioned too. So like a lot of the stuff that that he brings up to read, I don't even know about. So it, it it's a way for me to get to like read stuff that I didn't read about, also to revisit stuff that I used to love, while hopefully introducing other people to that stuff and uh you know because i i just it's a medium i'm so passionate about and i think it's a medium almost anybody can really love if they get it, give it a chance i think a lot of people just have like a stereotype in their mind of all comics are just you know cheesy guys in tights doing cheesy stuff and that is a large part of comics but it's it's not all of comics i mean comics is simply a medium uh maybe you want to call them graphic novels that makes it better for people but it's it's simply a medium and you can do anything with that medium and there are so many people that have done just many many different different kinds of things with that, with that medium that I think there is, there's really something for everybody within that. And I hope to inspire people to, to get into it more. That, that's really the whole goal of the show. The goal of the show is, is twofold. Essentially it's, it's selfish for me because it gives me an excuse to read more comics <laughs> while, you know, creating a new project, a new outlet for myself that isn't just political, uh, while also hoping that like, I want more people to get into the stuff. I really like when I have people that I can talk about this stuff with, and we've really developed like a good little community with that show. And, and the amazing thing about it is that because myself and Ramza both had followings uh, from our other podcasting lives, we actually had Patreon supporters before we even had an episode of the show. Oh, wow. I was like, why don't we just toss up a Patreon up there? And before we even do, he's like, before we even who? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just who knows? That way we just hit the ground <laughs> running. We already have it. We can talk about it in the first episode. And uh, before the first episode, one of our, our um, his name is Anthony Meyer. He, we call him Prime Meyer because he's our, our very first patron. Um, he became a $25 a month patron before we had a lick of content. And that was just so refreshing because before we even started, I knew, all right, well, our podcast hosting is covered. Like, you know, like we've already got a few expenses covered before we've even done anything. And that was just so awesome. And I, I don't think we've lost a patron. Maybe we've lost like maybe one patron out of, you know, almost, you know, 30 or so that we've gotten over the last year or so. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of podcasts don't even start a Patreon in the first year. They're just trying to grow and build their base. Yeah. So the fact that we had the ability to do that because we had other, you know, if we, if we just launched from scratch and no one heard of us, we probably wouldn't have been able to do that. But, you know, that just to know that people, when people really like you, and like what you're doing, that's ultimately like what podcasting is. It's like, the, it's pretty much the most personal medium that there is out there because especially, I mean, if you do a podcast even like once a week for say an hour, 
and someone listens to that show for a year, they just spent 50 hours with you for a year. I don't spend 50 hours with any human being except <laughs> for my wife. I mean, there's no one else I spend that much time with in the course of a year, unless you count people I, I podcast with maybe. Um, so, I mean, that that it's a really personal medium. And if if people dedicate that much time to listening to you, they like you. <laughs> I mean, they're going to like you or else they're, you're not going to be able to spend that much time with you. And, and when someone likes you and they want to see you succeed, they're going to support your projects. And that's something that I was just like so not stunned by. I, I in some ways expected it, but it was just really nice to see that that people wanted to support us based on my past quality of work, based on their feelings about me. And we're willing to support something that they haven't even heard one second of audio from. And I, I hope we do our best to, uh, you know, to, to live up, live up to that. Cause I, I really enjoy doing the show and, uh, we've, we've gotten great feedback on it. You know, it's still really small. It's still real. We're really definitely in that very, very early growth stage, but, uh, it's, it's one of the, it's the, one of the best projects I've ever been involved with. Cause we, all the time we get messages from people that, that are like, you know, thank you for doing this show. Like I, I've had messages from people that say like, I've, I've lost my job. Um, I've been like depressed lately. And this is the one thing that I can turn on every week that pulls me out of everything else going on in my life that actually makes me feel better. Like the fact that the fact that I could be helping someone's mental health. I mean, that's just like amazing. You know, there's people that spend thousands of dollars on therapy and drugs and don't feel any better, but people tell me they feel better just by listening to us. I mean, that's, I, that's just like, you can't put a price on that. That's so cool. I've never read a comic book in my life, but, uh, the, the, the victim's journey episode that you reposted on Lions of Liberty. Mm. No, that really? was actually just a Lions of Liberty episode. Oh, was it? Okay. I thought that yeah, was a repost we, from it. We, we occasionally it comes up in some way, shape or form, but we generally do. We want to stay away from like political stuff on that show. Oh, okay. Um, so even like yeah, I mean, cultural political stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes it works. We want it to work its way in naturally. Like we don't try to make it political and we don't try to, like really put our politics out there. But when something comes up, we give our honest opinions on it. So that it's kind of like, you know, it's in there. You know, if if you if you listen to it, you would hear the libertarian stuff. But people that aren't, I don't think would be turned away by it either. You know, it's not so overt. But it's there. It's, cer- it's certainly there. But but yeah, I mean, that, that, that could have been, because I don't think that episode was particularly political either. It's really just talking about this concept that it's not about, you know, what political philosophy you hold. It's just something that's happening in the culture. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's inter- yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept, but yeah. Talk a little bit about it, just because I brought it up and, um, I you know, I don't want the audience to be in the, in the complete dark. So the victim's journey is basically sort of a morphing of the hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the hero's journey, if anyone's ever read uh, Joseph Campbell, Hero hero with a Thousand Faces? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, that's where he basically lays out this hero's journey, this story that we see all throughout pop culture in ba- basically almost every, any story, especially the big blockbusters. If you really mm-hmm. break them down, they basically follow this pattern, the hero's journey. Um, you know, he, he goes off. I'm not, I'm not going to say it exactly right, but basically uh, a hero uh, uh, you know, faces some kind of problem, has to leave his place, leave his place of comfort, leave his zone, faces some challenges, uh, has some kind of death or transformation and returns and, you know, brings happiness and prosperity to the people at the end, basically. Um, the, the victim's journey is this kind of thing that has crept its way into the culture that has begun in many ways replacing the hero's journey. So you can look at, I, I think one of the big ones for that we, we talked about in that episode was uh, like Rey in, in Star Wars in the, the new Star Wars films. Now, she doesn't really have a hero's journey. Like she starts off you just meet her and she's got it. Like she's just a master from step one and kicks ass and has no struggle really to speak of. She's just is great. 
And almost all of her successes are not necessarily due to something she had to overcome. Uh, It's usually, almost always, due to the failings of some stupid man. (laughs) And this is like a common thing you see with victim journey. Not not necessarily just the the woman, the female male thing, but it's often where this person is either just naturally, you know, naturally great, and we're we're supposed to be happy that they're so great because they fall under some sort of victim class of some kind, whether it's because they're a female or a certain race or whatever it may be, and then we're supposed to cheer for them because of that, yeah. not because of actual heroic acts, not because of an actual struggle or what have you, or an actual transformation they've gone through. I mean, I, I don't I think if you look at that character specifically of, of Rey in Star Wars, like she really never had a struggle. She was just like really good at the force and kicked ass. And then that's her whole story. Like they're there. And, and we're supposed to be happy. I think it seems that we're supposed to root for her, not because of the actual struggles the character goes through, but because she's a woman going through those, going through this. And that's, and that's a very common thing theme in these sort of victims journeys. And when you, when you start to, to see them and, and you start to see a lot of the newer films uh, and that sort of thing that you can really see that you're not seeing a hero's journey as much in pop culture. You're seeing a victim's journey. And it's just an interesting observation. I'm not sure where it comes from or what it means. I'm sure it says something about society at large and and what we value in people. Um, but it's definitely a trend that, that we've been noticing. And then just to kind of add insult to injury, as soon as she finds Luke Skywalker, who actually did have the hero's journey, He's like this buffoonish hermit who, yeah. you know, yep. is just awful to be around. I mean, he was always kind of a bitch, but, you know, I mean. Yeah. That, that's always <laughs> a big part of it. It's always like, you know, they're just risen up or naturally great. And then all the men are just buffoons, just failing miserably all around them. I, I do I do think it is kind of like this subtle attack on like masculine. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to like trying to think of the best way to phrase these things. Like when I say masculinity, I don't really mean being a tough guy or being, I mean like the idea of historically like of the man. And it doesn't have to be a man. Like I don't, I don't fall into these gender roles really, but historically like when, when they attack the patriarchy, they're not attacking the concept of a man being a misogynist and beating his wife. They're attacking the concept of a man providing for his family and protecting his family and sort of serving as that, that guardian of the family. And to me that, that seems to be what's under attack here. What do you make speaking of which, and this was completely not planned, but what do you make of the trend among a lot of kind of right leaning libertarians to kind of take on that trad? I mean, obviously it's a reaction against this trend that we're talking about. But I think sometimes it kind of goes a little bit too far to where, you know, I mean, you can only accuse someone of being a beta cuck so many times before it just becomes a joke. What do you think? Is that something that libertarians should be, not fighting, I guess, but like just not embracing? Can you be more specific? Do you mean like specifically like, um, I'm trying to think of. Well, so right now there's a lot of, uh, almost violent rhetoric. I mean, like Josh Smith, who I love, like his entire, his entire theme song of his podcast is all about throwing pedophiles and wood chippers, which has nothing to do with his podcast. But like, you know, I mean, there's that, there's like a very like traditionalist religious kind of movement going on um, with, you know, some of the other guys that are just sort of in our spaces. Mm -hmm. And obviously I think it's a great thing if people are, rediscovering spirituality and things like that, especially right now in an age where the religion of the day is this hyper-authoritarian sort of political religion. 
but I think it gets taken a little bit too far. And, you know, I'm, and it might, maybe it just hits closer to home for me as, as a gay person who's mm-hmm. kind of become an adult in the gay community. Like I have lots of trans friends and things like that. So to hear Dave Smith, for instance, whenever he brings up transgender people, he doesn't just talk about transgender people. He talks about dudes who want to chop their dicks off, which is like mm-hmm. a very, a very like graphic thing. And I mean, most transgender people don't go through that surgery. Like right. it's just, it's just, they're so focused on the accidents rather than the essence, I guess, to use, you know, Aristotelian phraseology. Yeah, this is an, it's an interesting topic because I've spoken about this before because it's something that I've, like, I have always, growing up, I've always, I kind of would say I would, I grew up on like the, I don't know, the, it with a, you might say an anti-trad or anti-traditionalist viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think, um, especially when I was younger, I'm even pre-libertarian philosophy, I always just thought, in my mind, and this is this was in large part like an early rejection of religion too. Like I think I kind of had this like attitude like traditional stuff is dumb. <laughs> like I just thought like oh we have all these traditions okay because a bunch of people used to do a bunch of stuff and now they still do it and that's the only reason they do it and it doesn't have any meaning and you know I used to think all that stuff was dumb and I always thought like I never really thought twice about if someone was gay or transgender like I always thought like oh I just I'm I don't care what people do and I and I don't like I'm totally fine what people do in the bedroom or who they hang out with who they you know who they you know have worked with or what have you uh none of that matters to me at all and that that's still the case at the end of the day but I think like something has happened over these last few years that I have and I'm not even talking about like the traditional like I'm not a Christian or anything I don't even really hold any religion I, I was raised Jewish but I rejected that early on but I have found myself sort of becoming more spiritual over, over the last couple of years through a number of of life events and and things I've experienced and we can go in any of those directions if, if you like but I, I think that in many ways, I don't, I don't want to sound like woke, but I feel like my mind has been opened to things more in the last couple of years. And I do feel like a, a connection with the immaterial world, if you, if you could say. And I think that going through that and understanding culture and civilization more, I no longer reject the traditional stuff as, as much, like, like just reflexively anyway. Cause I, a lot of things, a lot of things I've I really thought to myself, like, okay, if something has been a tradition and a culture for like thousands of years and that culture is still doing pretty well, okay, maybe it's not as stupid as I thought, even if I don't fully understand it. You know, maybe, maybe there are actually things that people that can hold cultures together due to shared traditions, due to shared practices and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm directly answering the question about like if if that can go too far when you're when you're getting into like you know the wood chipper stuff or or what have you. Um, but I think like I don't know. I it's it's really it's 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 given me this is the kind of thing that I've I've that's kind of you know kind of got me in circle sometimes because I yeah. I sort of hold both views in a weird way. Uh, like I I when I see certain things being pushed, like I ha- like I want to emphasize again, like I have friends of every kind of like walk of life imaginable. And I don't care what people do and I don't care how people dress or how they want to identify. But I, I think that there is something that I see when when it's really pushed hard by forces I otherwise see as malevolent, that it does make me think, like, why is this being pushed so hard? Mm-hmm. Why, like, why is transgender, what have you, like drag queens reading st- with story time to like five-year-olds, why is that pushed so hard? Why are, why, is it, why are people being shamed if they even like don't like that or don't want their kids around that? And it, it really comes back to like maybe what we were discussing before, like the attack on 
you know, the, the, the role of the man or the role of the patriarchy in, in the sense I was describing it, like a lot of these traditions do really hold civilizations together, do really keep families together. And now I think when I see that stuff overtly attacked, it makes me think about that a little more. It makes me think, is there is there something insidious? Why is this being attacked so hard? So I think from from to address like the the kind of reaction to that, I think when people feel super attacked about things, there can be an overreaction the other way. So I think that's maybe where a lot of like the beta cuck, et cetera, it's kind of language might come from where, you know, people feel that their values are being attacked so hard that they got to attack back. And I don't really know what I think about it. It's like something I, I work through too, because... Now, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes, like I, I laugh at a transgender joke. Like I, I think stuff is. I think stuff yeah. is funny. I, I laugh at Jewish jokes. I laugh at uh, blonde jokes. I laugh at jokes if if they're funny. And I don't really care who they target. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a weird thing. I don't know because I I in my personal view, like I I accept everybody for who they are, and I have friends, like I said, of like every kind of persuasion or what have you, and I never think twice that their lifestyle or the things they do or the things that they they want to express harms me or harms my family or harms cultural values in any way, shape, or form. But when I see certain things like push at the top level, um, it makes me think, is there something insidious going on? Like, why is there such an attack on the, these traditional values to the point that there is actually like a trad movement that has to counter that? And yeah. I don't know if I have a direct answer, but... Those are my general thoughts, I guess you could say. But I, I'm I think, willing to go in any direction there too. I think that's a good point. And I think my aversion to it, so I have two aversions to it. I, I've always kind of been against like punishment per se. I, I, don't, I just don't like the idea of it. Like even coming from a religious standpoint, I feel like we can't have perfect judgment of a person's motives or actions. And so we shouldn't even try is basically my point of view there. But then also I do, like I, pu I push back against the sort of, authoritarian wokeness like for instance i have a new i have a new coworker. she's transgender and when she started everybody started putting their pronouns in their in their email signatures and stuff and, and i was like oh my god come on she doesn't even do that right and so it's like a signaling thing it's like yeah. oh well now we got oh we have one oh we gotta we gotta start doing the thing now yeah the, so like the office karen dm me she was like hey james i just want to let the you office. know just so that we can make this new coworker feel comfortable. Um, we've started to put our pronouns in our in our Zoom names and our in our email signatures and things. So you know, no pressure or anything. But you know, if you wanted to do that, it would, I think it'd be really cool. I think it would make her feel a lot more comfortable. And like she and I are are like really good friends because we're like kind of the token LGBTQ or whatever people on the on the team. We we don't talk about politics or culture, so I have no idea where she lands on that stuff. But like we're also the only ones who haven't added our pronouns to our stuff because like <laughs> we don't feel funny. the need to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like everyone um, else feels thinks that they have to do it for you. Yeah, but it's like to me that's just absurd. I mean, if so, I don't care if someone wants to say I'm he, she, or zer or whatever you, you want to say. Yeah. But to think that everyone has to do that to conform to them, when more likely than not, that actual like I don't know like anybody I know of of uh, that's you know, that's transgender or what have you, they're never the ones that care about that. That's just from my yeah. personal experience. It always seems like it's everybody else that wants to signal to them something. But I mean, it's absurd. Like you don't, I doubt you would want to, when you started working there, that you would be happy if everyone just started putting uh, like Joe Smith, heterosexual uh, like on their thing. And then you're supposed to put James like homo, like homosexual. Like, like that's, we don't need to start adding all these things into every aspect of our lives. We can just have them. We can talk about them if we want when they come up, but we don't need to like put this as like 
this is part of my identity that has to go into every other part of my identity. If people want to do it, great. But more often than not, it's not the people that that are actually like the victims or I don't know what, what they're supposed to be. It's 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 these other people that have taken upon this sort of um what do you call it? I don't know. This this white knighting kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then on the other hand, when I see people in the libertarian movement going like full on the other way with wood chippers mm-hmm. and, and chop your dick off references and all that stuff. I'm like, I, I bristle at that as well. Yeah, so maybe I can, that's just I what can it definitely is. see I'm, how that would be super cringe. Like, yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'm just a natural contrarian. Talk about your spirituality. You said that you've uh, kind of developed in that over the last some time, however long it's been. Sure. So which direction can I go with this? Hint? On, um, like I, I would say I, I've gotten really into for a, I've always been interested in religion. Like I've never, I, yeah. I rejected it very early on. Uh, I told this story on uh, Counterflow with Buck Johnson a few months ago, but I'll, I'll give you the, the, I'll give it to you again. It's basically when I was, I think I always like when I was young, I was like, oh, religion's interesting or whatever. Like I, I went to Sunday school, I was raised Jewish, um, mm-hmm. and I remember like Jewish holiday Yom Kippur is every year when um, you know you don't eat for a day basically, and it's supposed to wash away your sins, and then you're all good. And uh, but you know, in the Jewish tradition anyway, like you don't like usually kids aren't, are allowed to eat basically. So I remember being a kid on coming back from, uh, Yom Kippur services and I, we stopped at McDonald's to get food for me cause I was supposed to be allowed to eat. But I, and then my dad went inside somewhere, like we stopped at a store or something. And as he was inside, my mom turned around and like took a French fry from me. And she's like, here, give me, give me a French fry. And I was like, well, it's, what do you mean? It's, you're not supposed to, she's like, it's fine. One's fine. And I was like, yeah. and that's when I had the first thought. Like, I, I'll never forget this. I remember thinking, oh, they don't believe this. Like, <laughs> like, like, she doesn't actually believe this. Because if you believed it, you wouldn't eat a fry. You kidding me? You get to wash away anything bad you did for a year. All you gotta do is not eat for a day. Like I'm not touching food if I really believe that. Like if I really believe it in my core. So that's that was like the first time I like kind of realized like oh no they don't believe that. Like or maybe they do but like not really. Like the like the actions don't match the belief fully. You know. Um. So that that was what kind of that's where I really I think became an atheist like that day when I was like six <laughs> or seven years old at the time. Um, and then I think for a long time, it was just part of me rejecting traditional things and what have you. I just thought that's just dumb stuff. People used to believe cause you know, cause the, the, the stuff you always hear, you know, the, yeah. uh, well, you know, people didn't know people had, people are stupid. So they had to have these wise elders that tell them about a sky God because people weren't going to listen otherwise. And that was pretty much the view I always took. And, um, yeah, but I, I think I've always been fascinated by religion at the same time. I've always been fascinated by like, by like civilizations and obviously like religions are, have been historically a huge part of that. So even though I like rejected it as stupid and on one side of me, the other side of me has always been really fascinated by religions and how they spread and how people come in to, to share beliefs. And, you know, like one of my favorite classes in college was a comparative religion course. Cause it just, it just fascinated me so much. So it's always been an interest. Um, but yeah, like, I think meeting my wife was a big part of it because um, she's she's very spiritual, but she's she's not. Well, I guess I can go into it. She's public about it, but she's she's basically like a, she's a Wiccan. She's uh, basically practices witchcraft and uh, celebrates like Wiccan holidays and that sort of thing. And so when I first started seeing her, like I was I was like, oh, this, this is interesting. This is kind of cool. Um, but I didn't really know anything about it. And then but you now I, I started to get into things like things I always wanted to get into, but I just felt too frustrated by doing it like meditation. And I started to get into meditation more and more. And um, I haven't done as much lately. Uh, that's one of my my list of things that starting tomorrow, I'm going to get back into meditation again. Nice. Uh, but, you know, I, I I think I started to get to a point where I, I, I've experienced like a, several different things, I think, along the way there. Like one one is just I, I have done 
meditation and kind of felt certain things, like it's really hard to explain some of this stuff in, in words. I realize when I try to talk about it, cause like I, I've experienced things where I've, I've gotten so far like into my mind that I was gone from my body. Like, uh, I mean, I have, I have literally like felt myself leave my body. Um, and maybe that's just a feeling. Maybe that's just a feeling. I don't know. Like my wife is actually like, she will actually le- literally can leave her body and go float around the city and go. She can, she's been out of her body and seen, you know, seen us on the floor if we're like laying there wow. meditating. But um, yeah, like I've also had some experiences that were uh, psychedelically induced. But I think a, one thing that really struck me is that I have, it's not with the same intensity, I would say, but I, I have achieved very similar feelings of contact with something on an, another side of things, you might say, uh, something immaterial that I, I have felt that there. Like I felt something else there. And it, it's so hard to describe because. I, it, in many ways, it is a feeling and you, I can never really prove a feeling. I can never say this is scientific. I can never convince someone who is, you know, needs to see the charts and the graphs and the numbers to believe something is true. I can never convince someone like that, but I can, I don't need to convince myself of anything because I've, I've experienced things that I, I can just say, like, I, I firmly believe based on nothing more than my own personal experience, that there is something beyond this, that there is something beyond this material plane um, and I, I felt it without psychedelics. I felt it with psychedelics. Um, and that, that's to me, like the interesting thing that I could feel and experience those very similar feelings in two different circumstances. Cause if it was only on psychedelics, then you could always just write it off as that's what psychedelics do. But I've also experienced things like that off of psychedelics. And I'll, I'll say, I mean, that I don't think I've ever mentioned this on, on a podcast anywhere, but, uh, when I married my wife, we, we went to Las Vegas and got married cause it was, it was in the middle of COVID. We also had, uh, for immigration related reasons, cause she's from Mexico. We wanted to get married fast <laughs> we didn't want to wait. Cause that's just pushing off all the process that we would have to do for immigration. So we wanted to do it uh, sooner than later. Once we decided to do that. Um, even that being said, even the fact we were in Vegas getting married by Elvis, an amazing Elvis impersonator. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I when the moment that we, you know, that we did that ceremony, like I, again, I can't describe this fully. I can just do my best with human words, but I, I felt our souls merge. Like I, I felt something like that. I, it's so that I can't really describe. Uh, I can just do my best, but I, I literally felt like my, my soul, like lived out of my body and like, and make contact with hers. And I, it, I've never felt the same. Like I, and I, I wasn't looking at it, at it that way prior to that. I, I actually, like, I wanted to marry her because I wanted to spend my life with her, and I, and I, I was madly in love with her. But when we, when we went to Las Vegas to get married, I wasn't even really looking at there that as our official wedding, um, because we're we're still planning uh, a wedding with our friends and family. Sure. Like we still want to do that. I was kind of we were both kind of looking at it as just like paperwork because we just wanted to get this process started. Um, so I wasn't even really thinking about that ceremony in, in any kind of religious context, um, other than the fact that I meant everything I said, but when, when it happened, like, I mean, I really felt like, holy shit. Like I, I, I was, I was not expecting it either. Like I was not someone primed for that. I was not someone that was looking at that marriage at that ceremony as a religious thing at all. I was actually just looking at it as, all right, let's go do that. Let's get this thing done. Um, we'll get Elvis, we'll have fun with it. And then we'll plan, you know, we'll plan our life from there. But I mean, what I felt there, like it's real to me. I don't know. You might just say it's, it's, 
you know, human, uh, you know, human chemicals and the chemicals in our brain that make us fall in love and all this stuff. I get all that stuff. But, you know, what I felt there is something that I, I completely unexpected that I did not expect to feel. And um, to me, it's real. So someone can say it's not and that's fine for them. But to me, it's real. And I, I've experienced, you know, I, I also, um, heck, let's go all the way. We're going to talk about everything, right? I, I, yeah. I, I, I think one of the most amazing experiences I had uh, I have done psychedelic mushrooms a few times. I think you talked about that on in your show before, but yeah, I also actually, did. I just I just interviewed a guy last night who actually the episode's going to drop after this one, but uh, he wrote an entire book on it. So this this is just quickly becoming a it's show all right about in. psychedelics, spirituality, and libertarian religions. So. And, and it all really ties in because <laughs> I mean, a lot of these psychedelics, like these, talking about tradition. I mean, these yeah. are traditions. Like these yeah. these psychedelics, these substances, the use of these goes back longer than most traditional religions that are are practiced in the world today. I mean, these were the these were one of the connections to the spirit to the spiritual side of things um long before we had organized uh, at least the the major organized religions that that we have now. And you know, there's and these were always looked at as medicines and to me every almost every psychedelic experience I've had, even quote unquote bad ones. You know, you might say people have bad trips sometimes. I haven't really, but I've had a couple uncomfortable experiences where I've had to face things that were in my mind that I maybe had not been trying to face and that, that it might've really upset me and been difficult to face. But every time you do that, like you're, you're confronting things that need to be confronted or, and you're having realizations that, that you need to realize. And, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I have experienced that a number of times uh, on mushrooms, but I, and really when I did DMT, um, was the time that I really went, I really felt like I was transported to a different fucking universe, man. Like, but, uh, uh but like, it's weird. Cause I don't, I, I still debate what this all means. Like I'm, I'm in the process of discovery myself, but like I, I've, when I did DMT, I really feel like I went to, I don't know if I, I want to say a different place because I don't I don't think saying it in that way that's too that's such a material way to look at it. Like I went through a door to a different place. I don't know if that happened. I might just have gone somewhere deeper into my own mind, you know, deeper into whatever consciousness is because I think we understand so little about consciousness. I mean, science can't really explain consciousness at all. Uh, so I, I think, what do you want to describe it as? Literally, me contacting entities in another dimension, or what? I'm just contacting myself. You know, I, I don't know the answer, but I I definitely felt contact with like an, another presence. I don't know how else to describe that, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I could very specifically describe my very first like time doing DMT. I did like a couple times, but it was all in, in like a two or three day span. But like the, the, what I very first did the very first time I did it, uh, you, you do this, you, you smoke this thing like three times. You're supposed to hold it in uh, the last time until you just basically like pass out and go into this like dream world. And you, you should, by the way, I, I should preface this. No one should do this. Like, Definitely don't do this on your, I don't mean no one should do yeah. it, but don't just go do it. Like this, okay. I did this with my wife who is very experienced in doing this with people. And, and it's very important. Like if you're going to do psychedelics of any kind uh, to do them, like the setting is the most important thing. Being around someone who c- could take care of you. Like she wasn't doing it. It was only me. So she was there to take care of me. If anything happened, um, just because you can lose control of your faculties in, in some way, shape or form. So it's just important to not be the only one in charge at that point. Uh, especially with DMT, I, I should say. But anyway, yeah, I mean, first time I did that, I kind of went into this other place and suddenly this sounds scarier than it is. The weird thing is I wasn't scared at all, but there were these little like, like puffy, uh, black uh, monsters with little eyes. These little like coming at me and they looked scary, but in my 
in to me, I knew what they were, and I suddenly was not scared of them because uh, I knew what they were. I just knew exactly what they were. They were all my fears. They're everything mm-hmm. I feared, and they were coming at me. And, uh, and, I, and this is something that I, I do. Like whenever I'm when I have something I'm afraid of or uncomfortable with, like I try to avoid them. Like it's just uh, it's an instinct in me, and I know this sure. is a flaw of mine, but like. I'm not good with confrontation. If there's like something uncomfortable I have to talk about with someone, like I, I put it off like, Oh, well, Oh, I don't have time. I could, I can call them tomorrow. You know, I just, I, I set things aside. And when I had this experience, like I saw these things coming at me and I remember just like looking at them and I acknowledging them. I knew what they were. I knew they were my fears. And I just looked and I started laughing at them. I just laughed. And as I laughed at them, they fell away and they disintegrated. And to me, I was just learning a lesson there. You know, I was learning a lesson that, my fears can't hurt me. They cannot, they literally can't harm me. Fear can never harm you. Um, so look at it and face it and laugh at it. Cause it's not going to fucking touch you, man. And like, that was such a huge thing for me. And it's really, it's really impacted the way I live my life since then. And uh, you know, just, this is like two and a half years ago. Like, I'm not saying I don't experience fear. Like I do like all the time, but, but I, I always think about that. And I, I, I really do my best to, to try to not let the fear itself control me. Like that cannot control your actions because the fear itself can't really cannot harm you. It can do nothing. It could guide your actions in a negative way if you let it overwhelm you. Um, but the best thing to do is laugh at the things you're afraid of because fuck them, they can't harm you. And, uh, uh, but later in that same experience, um, I, that was just like step one. Like there's like eight layers of this (laughs) thing, but, but like later in that experience, like towards the end, uh, I had this thing where I just started Basically shooting through, like, you ever seen uh, 2001 Space Odyssey? Mm-hmm. I hope so, because it's my favorite movie. Yeah, okay. I just watched it a couple of months ago, actually. Awesome. You know, he's going through that, you know, uh, when he finds the they're about in space after they kill Hal, and he's you know finds the monolith out there and goes yeah. through this, like, tunnel. That's what I was going through. Like, that's, like, I was seeing fractals, like, perfect geometry. Like, like, like if you could imagine what the perfect, uh, like, hexagon and thing would, like, this is it. And it's, you're seeing it, and you know exactly what it is, and you see the brightest colors, like, colors in their purest form, colors you never even see out here in the, in the material world. And I started going through this thing, and then suddenly I came upon these these faces, and I started flipping through these faces, oh, but they were all me. They were all my face. None of them were my actual face, but I, I recognized them as me. And I mostly in the eyes, like, I feel like it was all in the eyes. I'm like, oh yeah. And I feel like I was just going through my past lives until I landed on this last guy. And it was just me staring at this, like, I want to say a Roman soldier. I don't know if he was Roman, but to me, he looked like what a Roman soldier would look like with like, you know, the the toga and whatever. And his face was dirty. And I say his, but it wasn't him. It was me. And, And I, and I, I've always thought I've had belief in past life in some way, but now I don't have a belief. Like I know, like, I know I saw myself in the past and a lot of people might listen to this and think, okay, this guy just had a trippy experience. And I can't really argue with you. I did, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I really feel like I experienced something that was very real. Yeah. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it's just drugs in my head. I'm all, I'm willing to accept that, by the way. I, there's a percentage of me that's, if you just told me that we could, we did the study, we actually found out this was actually just something in your head and that's all it is. I accept that because I know that's, you know, I was on a drug. Like that's entirely possible. Um, but I don't think that I, I really don't. And uh, like, I, I've, you know, I, I have felt like a, a lot of times when I've been, this is, I've felt this on mushrooms. I felt this during deep meditations as well, though. And uh, I've also done Kundalini yoga. I've kind of experienced something similar then where you kind of get into this deep state and you can really feel a presence around you. And to, and it's always this warming presence, uh, comforting presence, like um Sometimes I just feel like there's things around me. This is like maybe one of the weirdest episodes you've ever done. Uh, there's like things around me that are there to comfort me. They're there to tell me things are okay. They're there to tell me they're watching over me. And I've, I've felt that from them. 
And again, maybe it's just drugs. Maybe drugs are just cool. But I, I really have, I felt it enough in a, of a, enough of a variety of circumstances that it really has made me believe in God. Maybe not God in the traditional sense, uh-huh. but God in the sense of a, a force or something else out there beyond this. Something that I that I probably not probably that I can never comprehend in this in this state in this meat body that that uh, you know I'm currently inhabiting. Um, maybe beyond this, maybe I'll you know maybe I'll understand it more out there, and maybe I'll have a choice whether to come back into one of these things or not. But um, I, I've 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 heard people talk about that stuff enough. And maybe wrote it off, but after having those experiences, to me, it's it's as real as the air I breathe. Actually, maybe even more so. Awesome! I just got to hear the <laughs> I just got to hear the story of how the look how on a your lion, face and the, the way he's well, like, oh, right. I, I got to hear the story of how a lion got his courage without even having yeah. to go to Oz. Although I guess you kind of did go to Oz. That's a that's that's yeah, really cool. You could argue I I really went to Oz. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Mark, that's a really good place to end it. I think. I'm really I like how I told I you about one thing I didn't want to talk about before we go on air, but then I tell like the craziest freaking story yeah. about the drug use that I've ever told. So it's awesome. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I think that's going to help you in the thing that you didn't want to talk about too. So there you go. I do. I do as well. Yep. Cool. Well, why don't you plug your stuff and we'll get out of here. Oh man, there's so much to plug, but it's really just Lions Liberty. And you know, you know how to find stuff on the internet. We're at Lions yeah. Liberty on Twitter. Um, my personal Twitter is at Mark D. Claire, M A R C capital D C L A I R. And, uh, Second Print Comics is the comic podcast. You can find that secondprintcomics.com. We are at Second Print Pod. You got to spell the word second, not the the two N D. At Second Print Pod, we're everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, everywhere you can find us. All right, cool. Oh, and Patreon, pay us money everywhere. Patreon.com/slash/LionsLiberty. Oh, yeah. Patreon.com/slash/SecondPrintPod because. I look forward to a day where, not necessarily where I just podcast for my whole life, because I don't think I would want to just podcast, but where I can I can just podcast. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. I'd like to be able to just have to do that. And everything else I do, I can do if I want to. So that's the goal. That's where I'm trying right. to aim. Sweet. I will make sure to link to all of that. And I really appreciate it, Mark. Thanks, brother. All right, thanks again to Mark for joining me today, and thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. Don't forget to enter to win a free Lifetime Master membership at Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Head to woods.blackbirdpodcast.com, and I will be back with you on the next episode of Blackbird. Until then, live free. (laughs) 